0: Welcome to the Rooted Legacy Podcast. At Laurel Branch Church of God, we are devoted to developing an environment of engagement with Yahweh and hosting His presence attentively. Our hope is to help others become rooted in beloved identity and further the Kingdom of God on this earth. From Pastor Seth Klein and the congregation at Laurel Branch Church of God, we hope this message brightens your day and changes your life. We pray that God blesses you and all that you do thanks for listening
1: good evening uh if you have your bibles turn to mark chapter 10 i'm going to teach out of a a section of my notes that i had written back in november of uh, 2020 a couple months ago uh Kind of a revelation that the Lord gave me. Uh, I'll tell you something about the Lord, and here's something I mean, you may or may not know it. The Lord will give you a revelation today, but He may not bring it to clarification until two or three years down the road. Uh, you, he may give you the Word, and it may be for you to ponder and contemplate, and it may be uh, for you to reflect on and to uh, meditate on until one day he will reveal another part of it or he'll reveal it in its entirety. And sometimes he may give you a word that you may assume means something entirely different than what he intended for it to mean. So, you know, uh, really we have to be careful, uh, cautious, and uh, discern it. Uh, I think a lot of people get themselves in trouble because they hear a word from the Lord And they think that they've got to tell everybody. Uh, You know, it's like the old saying, uh, uh, they spend money faster than they can get it because it burns a hole in their pockets. You know, they think that as soon as they get a word from the Lord, they've got to either preach it, they've got to post it on social media, whatever it may be. And that's not necessarily the case. Sometimes the Lord will give you a word uh, for you to marinate it for a little while. You know what I mean? So this is one of those uh, instances where... The Lord gave me a word, and uh, for a long time, I may have thought that it meant something different than what it actually was intended to mean. So, I'm going to teach a little bit of that this evening. If you got your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 10. We're going to read uh, verses, verses 28 to 30. Three verses, 28, 29, and 30. It's probably a scripture that most of us are familiar with. I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation. Uh, You know, hearing me preach is like a box of chocolates. You just never know what you're going to get. I may preach from the King James Version one day, the NLT, the NIV, the Passion Translation. It is just, you just never know. It's just whatever I'm reading in at the moment. Uh, I want to back up and read verse 26 and 27. At least uh, verse 27. Uh, we know that this is talking about This is, uh, uh, this is talking about when Jesus gives a parable of the rich young ruler. It's easier for a, a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for a rich person to uh, get to heaven. The disciples start to think, well, who in the world could be saved? So 27 says, Then Jesus looked at them intently and said, Humanly speaking, it is impossible, but not with God. Everything is possible with God. Uh, that really don't have anything to do with what I'm going to teach tonight, but it's just too good not to remind you. That it may be impossible with man, but not with God. Everything is impossible for God. So it, it, may, it may show up somewhere in the lesson tonight. It may not, I don't know, but uh, it stands good on its own. It's impossible for man, but not with God. All things are possible with God. So then verse 28 says then Peter began to mention all that he had and the other he and the other disciples had left behind we've given up everything to follow you he said and Jesus replied I assure you that everyone who has given up house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or property for my sake and for the good news will receive now in return a hundred times over houses brothers sisters mothers children and property with persecutions and in the world to come they will have eternal life but many who seem to be important now will be the least important them and those who are considered least here will be the greatest them now uh i don't know really where to go and where to start i'm just going to kind of tell you some of the things that i've uh, that are from my notes then i may get into my notes later I know that a lot of years I read that scripture and I thought that it was talking about prosperity. I thought that it was talking about if I had given up what I had then, God would give me a hundredfold. Later, in return, he would give me a nicer house. He would do the, you know, and it's not, it wasn't a selfish ambition. It was a, uh, maybe we could call it a, uh, a foolish faith. Maybe it was uh, a misguided faith. Uh, But again, it wasn't selfish ambition. I wasn't doing it because of the gain that I thought was, uh, you know, the the gain that was guaranteed or what it may have you. I'd done it because I thought it was the word of the Lord. And, you know, I thought it was a reward for my sacrifice. And the Lord will reward you for your sacrifice. Uh, But up until recently, I viewed that scripture in that way until now. And I don't think that it was talking about prosperity. I think he was literally talking about community. If you think about it, if, I'm, if I give up house, sisters, brothers, mother, father, uh, property, uh, all of these things for Jesus' sake and the gospel's sake, those that do that will, re- will receive in return a hundredfold. Okay, think, think about it. What is the church? The church is a community. What is, the, what is the church intended to do? It's a community that is intended, secondly, okay, first of all, the church is a community that is intended to reach into the, 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 the dimensions of heaven. And then, secondly, are intended to reach into the necessities of the community around them. So I believe that when we give up what we have for the gospel's sake, we receive in return a hundred times, a hundredfold uh, the gift of, of community. So a hundred times, as many houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and property, along with persecution. When one sacrifices themselves for the sake of the gospel of Christ, they inherit family, which is community. That is the city. That is the lands. And that is the regions. That's what we inherit when we uh, give up what, whatever we possess for the gospel's sake. When we give up what we have in order to follow Jesus, we will inherit greater communities um you got to understand that's what we were uh, intended to do on a secondary basis the first basis the first the primary basis for the church was to exalt jesus to worship god to serve god uh to follow the holy spirit in those ways and then as a secondary consequence of being obedient to god we then meet the necessities of the community amen uh uh, so again, community is the inheritance of the obedient believing church. Uh, community is the inheritance of the church that is willing to lay aside fame and popularity. Uh, the church that is willing to lay down uh, prosperity and greater finances uh, it's it 's not all about can I grow my church? Can I beat this barrier can i uh, can I beat this uh, monetary goal can we get this much offering given this year then can we increase our ties this much listen if i have to worry about all of that then when will i have time to talk with god to look at the word of god to to in in ingest the Word of God when will I ever have time to be intimate with the Spirit of God if I am worried about the economic growth of the church and if I'm worried about the um, the economic growth the economic stability uh, if I'm worried about ways to systematically increase my tithing record for the year then when will I ever have the the, the ability to uh, fulfill my responsibility first of all as a man of God and not a man of business. You know you in the right place. I'm in the right place, absolutely. Uh, so brother you know what? What's the point? And I know a lot of people say, "Well, brother, you got to have money." Uh, you got to have money to be able to meet the needs of the people. Listen, I, I understand that is an absolute truth, but it is not an eternal truth. It's not the truth of Jesus. Jesus was able to feed 50,000 men at one time with just a couple loaves and a few fishes and had seven baskets of scraps left over it. We're the doing kind of church. We're not, we're not the build up kind. Yeah. Well, a little bit we got, we used. Right. As a matter of fact, he was even asked the question, said, where are we going to get all the money to feed these people at? We don't have enough money. That, listen, that statement in the Bible is the most number one complaint of the modern church today is we don't have enough money. The, the, the complaint should be or the decree or the lamentation should be is we don't have enough of the spirit. We don't have enough of the presence. We don't have enough of God. That should be the cry of the church today. Because if you have enough of God, all things are possible. Amen? Amen. Amen. So, I really believe that this is where uh, uh, the community calls will come into effect. So I want to read some, uh, some stuff. I want to give you a little insight to what the Lord had given me. Uh, it was in late September of 2019. Um, the Lord... Gave me a promise that after seven years, of which I was in the fifth year of, that he would give me the city. I erroneously believed it would be, or it was a building within a particular town city I thought he was sending me back to or, to or back to. But I was wrong, as previously stated. It isn't about a geographical place, a zip code, or a township. It's all about community. A common unity that joins people together. Salah. But I'm going to I'm going to explain some things here. How in order for me to walk into this city or community, this revelation, I had to leave. Uh, I had to leave the systemic religion that I had been taught, and I believe that that's where the Lord had been leading me for about six years, or five and a half, six years. The Lord was leading me out of a uh, systemic or leading me out of religion and through a systemic exodus. Uh, It took me the rest of 2019 and nearly all of 2020 to finally connect the dots in what he was saying. At the time I heard this particular promise, I was praying and looking at a sign that read Jericho Road. Joshua had marched around the city of Jericho seven times and the walls came falling down for him. And he went in. And claimed that that city. I knew the Lord was telling me that in the seventh year he would crumble the walls. But I again erroneously assumed that, that it would be for allowing me to walk in. It was not. But it was to grant me the access to walk out. It was an exodus, if you will. He was leading me in an exodus out of the religious system. Some call this a systemic exodus. He would, after seven years of holding me back, allow me to walk freely in the grace of the anointing he placed upon my life, and that was to lead others out of the bondage of the religious confines that had been holding them captive. Those restraints of wrong theologies and ideologies that place people within the cyclical entrapment of dogmatic opinions. Religion and its theologies, ideologies, dogmas, and restraining elements are going to be knocked down and lay ruined, but cursed be the man that tries to re-erect them. His sons shall perish under the curse of rebuilding the walls. And we know that that was the curse of the walls of Jericho, that whomever rebuilt the wall of Jericho, that their sons would perish, the younger and the elder son, upon its upon its initiation and upon its completion. Uh, the sons of the man would die. And we know that that was the case. We know that that came to fruition. I really believe that what we're experiencing in the 21st century and the modernized church is the death of sons, the death of spiritual sons, the death of uh, biological sons, and not necessarily or all the time in the terms of they literally passed on to another life, but that disconnection and that... uh, this uh, divided uh, re- uh the- disconnected and divided they're not connected to their fathers they're not connected uh to the church they're not connected to christ in any way uh they claim that it's a it's a it's a cult they claim that it's among other things uh you know it 's phony it 's false it 's just uh, it 's full of hypocrites whatever when we look at what we 're dealing with today, we see many sons and daughters that are moving and leaving or moving out of moving away from and leaving uh, the relationship of Christianity because we have taught it wrong because we have allowed ourselves to be taught it wrong amen uh, so what we're doing is we're continuing to try to build the walls of Jericho. And I believe the walls of Jericho uh, is the religious confines or the religious uh, constraints and confines uh, of of the church, of man's ideologies, not necessarily uh, God's intention or God's uh, interpretation or meaning of the Scriptures. I think that a lot of times we read it, And we interpret it from an opinionative bias, a preference that becomes prejudice in a lot of ways. And uh, something about the gospel, if it is constraining, is not the gospel. The gospel is liberating. The revelation of Jesus is liberating. Um, The encounter with Abba is liberating. The encounter with Abba will remove everything that has attached itself upon you. Of the last of the past life, the associations of the last sins or your past sins, all of those are, are removed. If not removed, uh, they're covered up and they're pardoned. Uh, you're cleansed. You're no longer uh, bound by that stench. You're no longer bound by them associations and those attachments the, of, of that sin. So we got to understand that the gospel of Jesus Christ. Sets people free. The gospel of Jesus should not put a greater bondage or captivity on anyone. Okay. If you are a servant or if you want to call yourself a slave to Christ. Understand that it should not be in the context of works. It should not be in the context of thou shalt not or thou must in order for you to be approved. Okay. It means that you are a... uh, I know a lot of people, that's that's weird, Pastor. But I'm not talking about no Fifty Shades of Grey nonsense. I'm talking about consensual yeses. If you are a slave to Christ and a slave to the gospel, you are, let me say this again, I am not in no way referring to some 50 shades of gray nonsense, but you are a love slave. It's not because you have to, it's because you desire to. And the reason you desire to, the reason you desire to be with God is you've come to the realization that God desires to be with you. There's a big difference. Religion will make you, it will convince you that God does not desire you, but you need to work in order for you to be deserving of God's attention. That's not, that's not what the gospel says. That's not what the gospel is intended to do. The gospel was intended to release you from the bondage of feeling as though you were not good enough. Is that not what Paul said? When he says, you've not received the spirit of religious works again, that you may feel the burden or you may feel the pressure of not feeling good enough ever again. He said, but you've you've received the spirit of full acceptance. The King James Version says the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry out, Abba, Father. You do not have to earn his approval, nor do you have to earn his uh, attention, nor do you have to earn his affection. He is willing to give you both of his attention and his affection. He's willing uh, to give you all of his... uh, What was the other A word I used? Somebody help me out. I used three A words. (laughs) Attention, affection, and whatever the third one was. You don't have to work to get that neither. Because it's given. It's freely given. So... I know that there's a lot of people, at least I feel there's a lot of people and I feel that it's an accurate assumption to feel this way. I feel a lot of people who still think that they are set free are still captive and are still held in bondage to their past and previous lives and their 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 last and past sins, which creates a sin consciousness that creates a current sin, sinfulness, sinfulness. because you're, you're, you're bound, you're still held captive to the sins in which God sent Jesus to release you from and redeem you from. Okay, it's a choice. He made a choice, but you've got to make your choice. Your choice is you can believe what religion says or you can believe the gospel that says there's reconciliation and there's relationship. Both of them come through one word called repentance. And the road of repentance was paved by grace. And Jesus paved every stone within that road because he shed his blood on Calvary's cross that you and I could have the opportunity or the privilege, if you will, of reconciliation. So, again... uh, Religion and its theologies, ideologies, dogmas, and restraining elements are going to be knocked down and lay ruined, but cursed be the man that tries to re-erect them. His sons shall perish under the curse of rebuilding the walls. And again, it's apparent that we're seeing generation after generation after generation fall under some sort of curse because the next or the previous generation is still trying to build something that God has already torn down and has left to lie in ruins. You can't go pick up what God has destroyed and try to put it back together again. Okay. Uh, What are we doing? What's the greatest wall of Jericho in our lives? It's sin. God destroyed sin and we go behind him trying to erect it and put it back together and build it back up. Listen, I I am totally turned off when I go and listen to a preacher or I happen to hear a preacher that wants to erect an image of all of his sins and preach about it and just slightly throw a little bit or a dash of how good God is in the middle of it. Okay, you can't preach how bad you were uh, and then think that you can put a little dash of God is good all the time, all the time God is good and expect it to do anything. All you're doing is magnifying your past sins and almost braggadociously uh, uh, lifting them up and and putting them on a pedestal. It's almost as though we, we begin to idolize and worship uh, the old self, in a way, but we 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 present it in such a way that we 're like, well you know this this man is dead, well, okay, then why did you because there's there's some things God resurrects the man who was sincerely repentant, but man will resurrect the sinful nature of himself because he 's not sincerely repentant. Does that make sense? Then we do it all the time. God will resurrect the man into a new being who was sincerely repentant, but man will resurrect the sins of the man who was not sincerely repentant, who may be remorseful, but at the same time is capitalizing upon, hey, this is where I was. This is where I am. Uh, It's more so uh, it's about me than it is about him. And uh, I I tell people all the time, if all you can preach is your testimony, then maybe you need to go learn a little bit more about Jesus testimonies are good don't get me wrong if you've got a testimony tell your testimony but don't preach 50 times 52 weeks out of the year and preach about your testimony 52 weeks out of the year i mean everybody listen by by the time you preached, everybody knows your testimony i assure you because some of us have heard it a half a dozen times if not 20 or 30 times because we've heard you preach that many times and that's all you got and I'm not saying that that's all you got in a derogatory term, but if that's all you got, then it may be an indicator that you've not spent more time in the intimates in in the intimate realm with Jesus, because He's going to take you from glory to glory to glory. Eventually, the new man looks so different from the old man. Listen, you can't you can't be in Christ Jesus and still look more like the old man than you do Him. Amen. 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 I mean, it's just it's just. It's just the way it is. No, you had an encounter, but you're not living in the experience. That's what happened. this, it's, You know, it's, it's very dangerous. Prove it. Okay. God brings Lot and his family out of Sodom and Gomorrah and says, but don't look back. What'd she do? Because, see, she wasn't ready to give up that lifestyle. Even though she was, she, she was being rescued and redeemed from the destruction and the torment was about to take place. She could not let go of the lifestyle that she enjoyed in the city of sin. She enjoyed it. She was not ready to turn loose of it. So she wanted to turn back and get a glimpse of it one last time. And what she did, she turned into a pillar of salt. It's what we're doing. But anyway, let's move on. Yahweh is bringing the walls down in order to set captives free from the bondages of systematic religion and bringing the chasms of the denominational divides that have kept his church from working towards together and community. He is bringing the walls down in order to set captives free from the bondage, bondages of systematic, systematic religions and bridging the chasm of the denominational divides that have kept his church from working towards togetherness and community, which is common unity. Salah. He's tearing down the walls that have helped that have that have held captives to the bondages of the system of systematic religion, and he's bridging the chasms of the denominational divides that have kept his church from working simply together. If we're working against one another, we're not working in unity. And if we're not working in unity, we're not in harmony. Yahweh is releasing his church from within the walls to establish unity within the community. This is catastrophic to the pillars of the religious and political regimes, but astronomical for the acceleration of thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not only bridging the chasm between denominational differences, but also dimensional separation, communion between heaven and earth. What we're walking in now is opening up an access or is opening up a gate. It's extending an opportunity to those that are walking in relationship and walking from religion to start walking in a realm called the communion between heaven and earth. What is communion? When you sit down, you have you break bread with one another. You have a meal with one another, but it's 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 a uh, it's a communication. You sit down; it's an intimate encounter, one with another, or uh, with you know a dozen, half a dozen. Maybe a dozen and a half people. It's an intimate setting where you sit down and you share revelation with one another. You share uh, food. You share that fellowship with one another. It's intimate conversation, if you will. I believe that what we're doing and what we're inheriting is an, is, uh, is an access and it's, give, it's given us permission to walk in a reality called communion between heaven and earth. The walls are falling down. What is the city? It's community. What is community. What is the essence of community when it pertains to the kingdom? The kingdom. So in essence, when we inherit community in this fashion or this form, what are we really inheriting? We're inheriting the kingdom. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Or you could say it within my community as it is your community. Who what is his community? Most of us would say, oh, it's heaven. You're wrong. Well, you're right, but not necessarily completely right. His community is us. Where does he dwell? Within his community. Where is that? Within the body of Christ. When we, when we see things from this perspective, it gives you a totally different understanding of inheritance. Okay, listen, can I, what if I said your inheritance is not necessarily you going up, but it's your inheritance coming down to you? What if inheritance transcends? It comes from up here down to you. What if it's like I said a couple of weeks ago, that when the ascended dimension and the descended dimension begins to come together and they become the same dimension? That's literally thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What part of that did we not understand? And I'm going to explain some things here. Uh, that's, not, uh, that, that's not a hope uh, in terms of it might be a possibility. It's a hope indeed, but it's a guarantee. Amen? Let me, let me, let me, see, let me just read a few more times here, and then we'll get to it. Uh, Jericho Road is a path out of religious enslavement, but into a realm of spiritual envelopment, a dimensional reality of thy kingdom come. Now here, I want to explain something to you. If you knock on my door and I open it and answer, come. I am permitting you then and right then to enter and to make yourself at home. You do not have to wait and it's your fault if you choose to remain outside. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yahweh will not invade. Let's say Yahweh will not invade your privacy. Yahweh will, Yahweh will not invade your kingdom until you give him permission to. That's why it is so crucial that we understand that when Jesus says, when you pray, pray like this Our Father who, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Okay. I think it's crucial that we understand that he says our Father and not my Father. Our Father, which means that it's all-inclusive. Hallowed be thy name. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Praise his name. Then he says, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do you understand? Do you see what I'm trying to to, uh, uh, convey here this evening? That when we say that prayer... It's not necessarily that we're knocking, knocking, knocking on heaven's door. It's actually that heaven is knocking, 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 knocking on or prove it, or proven. If I come and knock to you and you open. Is that what Jesus said? If I come and knock to you and you open, I will come in and eat with you. I will come in and commune with you. Is that, what, is, is that not what the scriptures say? Yeah. Okay. If you knock, if I knock. And you open unto me. I will come in unto you. And I will sup with you. I will commune with you. I will have community with you. You will inherit the community that is thy kingdom. Amen. Thy kingdom come. The kingdom is knocking. Prove it. The kingdom is at hand. All we gotta do is open the door. Do you know what we do when we open the door? We open the door and say, Thy kingdom come. It's giving the kingdom permission to invade my reality, which in turn makes the descended reality and the ascended reality the same reality at the same time. Did I mess with y'all's minds too much? You're
0: doing good.
1: You getting it? <coughs> you getting it? You're getting it? Everybody getting it? Come on in. Or come on down. It's here for you. It's, here for you. it's absolutely here for you. It's, it's then and absolutely then. Not... Okay, okay. When I say then, I mean it is then in that moment which is now. Let me read it again. If you knock on my door and I open it and answer, come, I am permitting you... Then and right then. To enter and to make yourself at home. You do not have to wait. And it is your fault if you choose to remain outside. Most of us have chosen to remain on the outskirts of the kingdom. And it's our fault. Because the kingdom has been granted, we've been granted access to the kingdom. We have been granted permission and full access into a reality called thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When we pray, thy kingdom come, we have to understand that it is not, that it is, let let me read this slowly. When we pray, thy kingdom come we have to understand that it is opportunely now. It is at hand. Within reach. And that it isn't for yet another day and time, but that it is presently available. Can I read that again? Hmm? When we pray, thy kingdom come. We have to understand that it is opportunely now. It is opportunely now. It is at hand. It is within reach. And that it isn't for yet another day and time. But that it is presently available now. Presently available now. Am I helping you, hurting you? Making it worse? Your head hurting? I don't think that when Yeshua said, Pray, thy kingdom come, he was suggesting that we merely ask and hope for, it, but that we confidently decree that the kingdom is now and is a reality within the present earth. Salah. Amen? Okay. So. If any man will give up brother, sister, mother, father, house, property, etc., 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 for my sake and the sake of the gospel, he will receive in this life, okay, in this life, a hundredfold all that he has given up. Amen? Amen. And persecutions. So understand that there is going to be persecutions that come, right? Right? It, it just, maybe it's just, uh, it's just, I don't know, it's, uh, it's, it's part of it, if you will. I, I don't know any other way to explain it. He adds, or he, he gives us the addition of persecutions. Uh, I, I know, here's the sad reality, that 99% of the church will believe more in the persecutions than they will the hundredfold everything that they've lost. <coughs> It is easier for 99% of the church to believe that if I give up anything for the gospel's sake, I will inherit persecutions and I will inherit persecutions abundantly. But nobody will actually believe that if they give up anything for the, for the gospel's sake that they will receive in this life a hundredfold what they had sacrificed. Okay, You've got to understand that there is a distinction here. He says, in this life. And then he begins to talk about the life to come. He talks about eternal life. He talks about receiving or inheriting that treasure in eternal life. The reason I bring that up is because I don't necessarily believe that there was a differentiation at all. I believe that he was explaining to you that everything that is, in, and, and, that is your inheritance in the afterlife is your inheritance right now. Right now. I wanted to say previously, but that's the wrong word. But whatever is an inheritance in the eternal life is also an inheritance in the now life. In the present life. Okay. He's telling you that you're going to face all of these things. But he's also saying that all of these things that will be given to you are available to you now. Whatever is given to you as a reward in the afterlife is available to you now. It's almost as saying you can have an advancement on it. You know those commercials where you can call the 1-800 number and you can get an advancement on your payday? Only you don't have to pay this back. You understand what I'm saying? He, He has given you and I an advancement on heaven. We can begin to inherit the realities of heaven in the moment and in our now. I wish I, could, I wish I could find this, this quote from uh, Eugene Peterson. And I'm going to try to paraphrase it. Basically what he said, he says, uh, Yesterday's don't matter and tomorrow's don't either. But he said, every now is full when it's full of the presence of God. Basically, what he said is that I'm going to fix my gaze and my concentration on the moment of now and make sure that my every moment that is now is full of God. It's full of God. I don't want to wait on something that is futuristic before I can experience the fullness of God. You, listen we 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 can all do good by reading some of his writings and i 'm not one to promote books i don 't even i listen I hate to read that may that 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 may shock you, but I hate to read i really do hate to read i 'm a skimmer i don 't know if you know what a skimmer is but i 'm just i 'm skimming right across the high toss man i don 't If it don't interest me, I'll skip down to the next paragraph and I might stick around a little while if it starts to interest me. I've read very few books in my day. Very few. But Eugene Peterson is one of the, if you will, masterminds that I believe come closer than just about anybody at mastering the cognizance and the consciousness of the presence of God in every moment. I believe he lived in, an, in a reality called thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven now. Most of us live in a hope that one day we'll inherit thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But there are men that have walked the earth that have actually walked in realities that could that most only find in heaven. Because they found a portal. And that portal was they believed That they were the son of God. And inherited all that was Christ Jesus. Let's prove it. Listen. Jesus walked on the earth. But he remained in constant communication. With God. Jesus was simultaneously. At the same time. In two totally different dimensions. But were they different? I could almost say they weren't different. Because they were centered around him. Wherever he is. The reality is. The reality is. Whatever the reality is, it is because of him. And if he is present within the reality, the reality bows and obeys him, or bows to and obeys him. So listen, prove it. There was no leprosy when he deemed it healed. There was there was there was there was no issue of blood when he deemed it healed. How come? Because the woman with the issue of blood did not have an issue of blood in the realm of heaven. Okay? Jairus' daughter was not dead in the realm of heaven. The man that could not walk and came down through the roof, he was not crippled in heaven, and he wasn't he wasn't uh, he wasn't plagued by sinful natures either in heaven. So anytime Jesus healed somebody, he actually corrected the contradictive nature of that person's reality. You, you hear me? He corrected the contradictive nature of that individual's reality. Amen. I've taught it like this for many, many, many years. Jesus understood that when they came to him to come uh, healed Jairus' daughter, that Jairus' daughter, it wasn't the will of God for her to have died. It wasn't the will of the woman with the issue of blood to be dying from a flow, her menstrual cycle for 12 years. It wasn't meant for the deaf and dumb spirit to have a hold of the boy and try to kill him every day by drowning him and throwing him in the fire. He understood that that was a contrary. Uh, That was contrary to the will of God. That was a circumstance and a situation that was rebellious and disobedient to the perfect will of God. And what he did is he looked at it and he said, I know it's not supposed to be this way. So I'm going to correct it and bring it into subjection to the way it's supposed to be. And it's going to come into alignment with the will of God. That's what sons and daughters were called to do. And guess what? You're You're a son and you're a daughter. You were called to be able to look into a situation and say that's contrary to the will of God and begin to correct it. But guess what? We've got to be close enough with God. Here's the scary part. It's not as hard as what you think. We can sit here all day long and we can make it, we can, we can try to formulate it and we can try to calculate it and we can try to make it harder than what it really is. But you know what? All it, all it takes is me to stop and say, I believe I believe. You know how you know how simple it is when you say I believe. What are we believing in the first place? That God is. Not only is he is, but he is now. And those two realities are the same reality within my reality, and I believe that God is here. I believe God is in my presence, and I am in god's presence. and when I live as though when I live in the reality of god's presence, I inherit everything that is his. What did the prodigal son inherit when he does, when he comes back to the Father? he inherited inhabitants and he inherited or he he got inheritance and inhabitants. Both transcend from the presence of God. What is inhabitants? Presence. Right? If you abide in me, I'll abide, abide, abide in you. We've got to, we've got to. We, we've got to simply. Begin to believe. That I. Have inherited the inhabitation of his presence, and that my reality and his reality are simultaneously one and the same, the same reality. That I'm walking within the presence of the kingdom because I'm walking within the presence of the king. And the kingdom that we inherit when we walk out of the religious dogmas and we walk out of the religious uh, restraints and the religious systematic bondages is we begin to inherit presence. We begin to inherit, uh, we begin to inherit thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Listen, things will begin to look different entirely. Somebody say amen. amen. Somebody say amen. Thank you. Okay, the earth and the cosmos are waiting for the church to get a hold of the revelation of relationship and to reject the restrictions of religion. If you have your Bibles, let's go to Romans chapter 8, verse 19 through 25. I'm coming up on an hour. Y'all give me 15 minutes and we'll go home. If I don't preach, if I, if I preach less than an hour, I just don't feel like I've done anything. (laughs) The earth and the cosmos are waiting for the church to get a hold of the revelation of relationship and to reject the restrictions of religion. Romans chapter eight, starting with verse 18 I'll start with verse 18. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will give us later. When is later? Huh? Okay. It's in a time yet to come, right? Amen. How many years ago did he write this? Roughly 2,000 years ago. We're already in the time of later. Yeah, we've got to stop adding later and later and later. To try to postpone whatever it is God is already trying to give us. Amen? Amen. So the sufferings that we're enduring now is not even compared... Uh, it's not even comparable to the glory he will give us later. Let me assure you, you're already in the time of later. Because we are beyond the time when he wrote that. Amen? Amen. For all creation is waiting eagerly for the future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against his will, everything on earth was subject to God's curse. All creation anticipates the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. Glorious freedom or the glorious liberty. For we know that all creation has been groaning as, it, as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. So the earth has already been anticipating. The earth has already been groaning up until that moment. He is talking currently. So he was talking about something that was to come later and then he starts talking about something that is currently going on. He's talking about the earth. We know that it has been groaning in an earnest expectation up until now, up until the present moment. Groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up until the present time. And even we Christians, although we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory, also grown to be released from pain and suffering. We, too, wait anxiously for that day when God will give us our full rights as his children. Now, listen to what he says, including the new bodies he has promised us. Now, I'm going to come back to that now that we are saved, we eagerly look forward to this freedom. For if you already have something, you don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't have, we must wait patiently and confidently. Now, I want to go back to verse 20. I think it's 24. It's 23, excuse me. Okay. And even we Christians, although we have the Holy Spirit within us, As a foretaste of future glory, also grown to be released from pain and suffering. We too wait anxiously for the day when God will give us our full rights as his children, including the new bodies he has promised us. Now, let me ask you something. It may or may not be talking about a rapture. I don't know. And I really don't care. I don't think that it is. My conviction says that it's not. My conviction says that he's literally talking about a reality that is called the resurrection of Christ. Can you have something? Listen, we will teach the resurrection of Christ as a moment that is to happen in the future. We will see all the signs fall into place and all of a sudden we will begin to witness the resurrection. Well, I want you to know and understand that you are a witness for the resurrection because you are living in the power of the resurrection now. Explain. Okay, I'm glad you asked. Let me, let, me, let me go back. Let me revisit the prodigal son. He's in the pig pen. He gets out of the pig pen. He shakes himself. He decides he's going to walk the long, lowly, the long lonely road of repentance back to the Father. And he's repeating the prayer over and over and over. And he's rehearsing it over and over and over. And finally, uh, what he is pursuing, the Father's presence, They begins to the pursue it and then pursues him. He's face to face with the Father. Okay? That's where everything should take place for you when you encounter the father face to face. Okay. Okay. In his his religiously drunken stupor, he decides that that's the opportunity he needs to recite and repeat the prayer. Father, I've sinned against you and God and I'm no more worthy to be called your son. Now, here's where it begins to take place. Here's where it begins to take form. Okay, the father interjects the, the, the interjects the conversation. He inj- interjects the son. He says, "This, my son, right, who was dead, which meant that there was a previous reality of where he was dead in his sins and he was dead in the decay of flesh." Well, everybody agree with that, Amen. But when he encountered face to face with God, He has communion and intimacy face to face with God. And he's talking with God, which is both intimacy and communion and fellowship. Right? This is relationship. Right? Righteousness. Right relationship. Amen. amen. Okay. It, when this begins to take form and change shape, he, he says, this is my son who was dead. Which is to confirm that there was a previous state of the son. But there is a glorious state that is who was dead but is alive again. So I'm telling you right now that when you come into when you come to the place of accepting a reality that is face to face present and you begin to take the responsibility of stewarding that relationship and stewarding that presence, you will then begin to walk in an inheritance called the resurrection. Y'all missing it, ain't you? Go back to verse 24. 23, excuse me. We too wait anxiously for that day when God will give us our full rights as His children. The prodigal son did not inherit his full rights as a son until he came back from the riotous living and riotous lifestyle in which he he was previously living. That was the lifestyle in which he was dying and was dead to. Okay? The promise of coming to God is the inheritance of the resurrection. The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead has also quickened your mortal body. Amen? The power of the resurrection has been provided to you because God made a way where there was no way because He made a way through one named Jesus Christ. If it had not been for Christ Jesus, the prodigal generation would have never made it back to the inheritance of face-to-face communion. I believe that there is a generation of prodigals that are tired of the pig pen and that we will begin to see in this day... Come into a place of presence, inheritance, and inhabitants. And they will change the world. Because that is the generation in which the world has been groaning to see manifest. Somebody say amen. Amen. Thank you. But no, we still want to sit back and we want to wait for the eastern sky to split. We want to, We want to see all the demons come out of the ground. We want to see the... We wanna see beasts and we wanna see devils and we wanna see people tormented and then we'll know that the Bible is true. Listen, I'm telling you can wait for it if you want to. That's a sad situation that if you're willing, if you're so if you're excited. About the what we see on TV. Listen, you can say that it saddens you. I'm am talking to 90% of the church right now. You can say it saddens you. You can say that you're praying for God to move. You ain't you ain't saddened, and you ain't praying for God to move. Because in your own twisted theology, you think that this is confirming the signs of the times. And I'm sorry. I don't know if you, if, if, if you can find that and confirm that in the Bible by your, by, on your own and by the Holy Spirit without reading somebody else's commentary. Then show it to me. And if I'm wrong, so what? What? I'm going to be on the same bus to glory as you are. And I'm going to look over and say I was wrong. (laughs) And then I'm going to tell you, but I was right with Jesus. I might have been wrong about my theology, but I was right about the theos. But we'll turn on the television and we'll somewhat seemingly cheer with enthusiasm because it's almost time. But I'm going to tell you right now that the time is now. The time is now. Listen, we can argue theology. We can argue in time eschatology. We can argue it if we want to. But listen, let's not waste our breath. Let's not waste our time. If we're arguing about meaningless, useless things... Such as whether or not the Holy Ghost will give you the evidence of speaking in tongues. Or whether or not that Jesus is about to come tomorrow. I'm not looking for Jesus to come. I know that Jesus is already here. I'm not looking for God to come. I'm not looking to die so that I can, I, can, I can experience the inhabitants and the inheritance of God. Listen, I've already died if I've come up the road of repentance. I've already died if I've left my pig pen. Young White said a couple of months ago, talking about the afterlife, I said, brother, I've already started living in my afterlife. Because I'm telling you what. There was an old man that passed away. But I'm in Christ Jesus now. And I'm living in the afterlife. I'm living in a newness of life. And I'm living in my resurrected life. But one day. But one day. I will get to receive it. It's in it's, its entirety. But right now. I'm living in what he will allow me to live in. And you can too. If you're willing enough. If you believe enough. And I'm telling you what. You may have to hear this. You can live in it too. If you're just simple minded enough. Let me tell you something. People will look at me all the time and say brother he's just simple minded he just ain't educated I would not have an education if it made me uh, if it hindered me from being revelated I would rather be revelated than educated any day huh they didn't call him John the educator they called him John the revelator because he saw things that no man, other man was permitted to see but were they? Yes, they were. They were permitted, but guess what? Listen, let me I preached this for a long time. You have to be John the Beloved and walk in that inheritance and that identity before you can move up into the inheritance and the identity of John the Revelator. Because someone says, listen, the gateway to, in, to inheriting the revelation of greater things to come, and thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heavens, is to understand that the king loves you. It's as simple as that, but we make it hard. You want some reasons why we make it hard? Well, brother, you know, I just, uh, I just don't think that if you don't go to church that you just ain't really saved. Let me tell you something. I, I, listen, there's a lot of people who go to church I don't know if they're really saved or not or myself. I know some people that don't miss a Sunday that I question whether or not they have a real relationship with Jesus. Huh? Some, some of our favorite contemporary Christian artists... I question whether or not they really have a relationship. I tell you what, my assumption is they couldn't make it in secular music, so they picked Christian music and tried to be a star over on this side. Hmm? Because some of the things that they support and some of the things they say, and, uh, you know, hey, I don't know if that's very very Christ-like. So we're stuck in this stigma. We're, we're, we're stuck in the dogma and this systematic... Uh, this systematic religion and this system... Listen, systematic cesspool, if you will, and then we'll call it the pig pen. We're in it. We're stuck. Religion will remind you of all the stench that you've, ever, that you've ever experienced in your life. And that's the pig pen. Well, come on, man. it was It was so much more... Then for God so loved the world that He sent His only begotten Son that whomever should believe in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Let me tell you something. The everlasting life starts when you accept Jesus. And do you know what is included? Do you know that when you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you begin to walk in the reality of everlasting life? And there should be a colon that said, and in addition to that, you get to inherit this. And that is everything that is in the realm of heaven is available to you in your realm of now. I know, I know. It's a little difficult, would you say amen? Amen. Maybe we don't understand it. Maybe we can't quite fathom it. But the kingdom of God. I'll say it this way. And I've said it this way many times. I don't remember who the. to, to, To credit the quote to. But most of us have heard it. The gospel is so simple that a child can understand it. I will agree. But I will also say. That the gospel is so incomprehensible. That the reality of the kingdom is so incomprehensible. That it takes the wild, vivid imagination of the pureness of a child to be able to see it. Hmm? Amen. And I could, probably, I could probably go for another hour just on the pureness and the holiness of God and the otherness of God other than and in addition to God is abundantly more. And the reality of God is greatly and abundantly more than what you can conceive in the futile humanistic mind of the carnality in nature. It's beyond that. And it's more than that. Amen. Amen. Let me see if I've, I've, I've made it across the threshold. An hour and one minute. Can we close it down? And the church said? Amen. Amen.
0: Our vision for the Rooted Legacy podcast is that we give as much free content to God's creation as possible. However, if you've been affected by God's word and would like to give, you can do so at Tithely online or on the Tithely app. Just search Laurel Branch Church of God. Our address is Clear Fork, West Virginia, 24822. That is Tithely.ly T-I-T-H-E. Dot .ly Thank you for listening and may God bless you and all that you do today.